every time it seems to me that we have taken the risk to be vulnerable with the other guy and share something difficult um, and bring up something difficult, my experience is it has led us to more love and more connection and juicy conversations. And there's almost a, there's a kind of a safety. It seems ironic, but there's a kind of a safety that we're building in early in the game by having these conversations. It's yes, it's scary. And it's what does this mean and all that, but there's a kind of a trust that we're building at the same time that I can trust this person is going to bring these issues to me and that I'm safe bringing them to her. And just the levels, the conversations that we've had as a result of these vulnerabilities has been uh, just magnificently juicy. Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. everybody to this episode of new love taking risks to be real and i have a conversation with my dear friend a returning guest greg lavoy and his girlfriend cindy nelson greg and cindy uh, met this past may yeah during the pandemic and they're going to tell us about how they met and their courting and their unique way of getting to know each other very fast and also the importance of being authentic and speaking up and taking risks to be vulnerable and be real in the early part of their relationship to establish a good trusting foundation early on in their relationship. Craig and Cindy are in their early 60s. They have both been in long-term marriages before. Uh, I believe they both have not been in a long-term relationship in the last year consciously. So uh, they went into their relationship with uh, eyes wide open. And let me tell you a little bit more about Greg and Cindy. Greg is an author and speaker. He's the author of Vital Signs, The Nature and Nurture of Passion, and also the book Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life which is rated among the top 20 career publications by the Workforce Information Group. And he is a former behavioral specialist at USA Today. He is a regular blogger for Psychology Today. He's a very, very dear friend of mine, and he's an excellent writer. And let me tell you a little bit more about Cindy. Cindy worked in tech in Silicon Valley in England for 25 years for Xerox, Oracle, and a first smartphone ever startup. After leaving tech behind in the mid-2000s, she went back to music school, joined a band with whom she performs covers of rock and folk songs regularly. She has raised three daughters and lived to tell about it. And since the pandemic, she can be seen on the road in her van experiencing the big wilderness in the United States for the first time. And you can learn more about Cindy and Greg in the show notes. So Greg and Cindy both live in California. So we are doing this remotely. 
And I was just very pleased that they wanted to do this conversation with me because I think it is so important that we understand uh, in new love when we enter into a new relationship, the importance of taking risks to go deep and be authentic and be vulnerable. So they share their story. Alrighty, let's get to it and let's talk about it. Alright, so I'm so happy to have you both with me because this is a first for me on my podcast, having two guests here on the same time. So thank you so much, Cindy, for coming and wanting to do this. Thank you for having me, Prepo. Mm-hmm. And my boy Greg is making a reoccurring guest visit. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure, of course, as always. Mm-hmm. But now you're there's a couple at the other end. So this being a new love and now what I really would love to hear that you guys met during the pandemic. And uh, this is going to give a lot of people some ray of hope of uh, how to do this in this time. So tell us, like, how, when did you meet and how did you meet? Well, let's see. We met in May through a an application online called Meet Mindful. And um, we just wrote letters to each other for uh, I think at least a month, maybe six weeks before we actually met in person. And I think the pandemic helped us uh, take our time and really maybe get to know each other and take stock before we met in person, which, it, you know, at the time seemed incredibly risky. And so when you say right back and forth to each other, like how often, what, like, when did you know that this was getting to be a regular, regular thing? Was it like two emails a day, three emails a day? What, what, when did it become like, Ooh, this is interesting. No, actually it wasn't anywhere close to that often. We were what, maybe once a week or so, something in there. And it started off slow with um, shorter letters and they got longer and longer. And we realized we both really enjoyed the correspondence, which was uh, frankly a diagnostic all by itself that we both really enjoyed the letter writing and the the ability to connect in that particular way, as opposed to just immediately cutting to the coffee date or something. Yeah. And I remember um, getting a, a, a letter from him where he asked me to tell him a story about one of my experiences when I went camping with some friends. And I ended up writing him a little story about that. And he really enjoyed it and felt like he got to know me a little bit better. And then I challenged him on one as well. Yeah, she sent me a poem that she had written while she was at one of these camping places and said, uh, your turn at the end. So she was sort of challenging me to finish mm. the poem. And mm. of course, you know, being the writer and all. Ah, you took that challenge. I certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> and so you didn't hear each other's voices for how long? Let's see, we met. Uh, I think our first correspondence was in early May and we didn't meet until June 16th, I think. And um, I think one of the things that I remember is being really happy at the beginning that we chose a really big nature place to meet for the very first time. And um, during the pandemic, that was helpful too, because the beach, we chose the ocean and there was lots of air and very few people there. So we felt really comfortable sharing for about three hours together. Mm. Hey, but Cindy, didn't you cheat a little bit? Didn't you tell me like how how long was it till you you looked him up and knew that he was a writer and and got his book to hear another part of him? How, how long was that? 
Oh, that's right. <laughs> I did Google him fairly early on and found out that he'd written a book because he mm -hmm. mentioned that in his online profile. And I found the book and actually downloaded it and started listening to it on Audible. And I have to say that was really motivating me to get in touch with him and meet in person and um, loved uh, hearing that and hearing his voice. And I knew a lot about him before he met me. Yeah, you got all those stories. So you knew a lot more about him, huh? Yeah, I, I was thinking later on, I said, you know, fair is fair. I should like read your diaries or something. <laughs> and did you ask? It was that something you asked? I Let did actually that. ask. No, I don't remember getting a response to that one. <laughs> We do share th things out of our journals on a regular basis because we both have a journaling practice, which I think is helpful. Mm. What, what was it for you, Cindy, that all of a sudden there was a certain amount of depth that you went, ooh, I want to pursue this. And there's something that feels comfortable and I'm sure in, in some aspect uh, intriguing and maybe even scary. But do, was there a time or, um, that that, that kind of came to you? Well, I think in our letters that we were sharing, I found that, Greg, if you can be a good listener when you're writing emails back and forth, um, that's how I would call it. He would call out things that I'd said or ask questions that I'd asked him in my email and, and answer them in great detail and then in turn ask me a deeper question about myself. And um, I really liked that. I found that I felt like he was interested in me and it made me more interested in him. <laughs> Hmm. What about for you, Greg? Well, you know, this, this is actually one of the things I would love to just address, given that we're talking about the dynamics in early relationship and new relationship, is what Cindy was just saying. There was a way in which I think she and I deliberately worked to get at the depth sooner than later. And not spend a lot of time on the getting to know you, swapping the resumes, uh, banter and storytelling, which is all fine. But I think early on, it became really obvious that we were interested in, in dropping down past the infatuation stage and the sort of the, the, the coffee chat and, and to get into depth quickly. And so that's actually something I'd love to address. Yeah like the more shadow side of each other well that's part of it so cindy and i have both attended retreats that are hosted by an organization out here in california called the human awareness institute and they specialize in really deep dives into intimacy building skills okay and at the end of the one that i took and there's 75 or 100 people in it at the very end of the retreat, in the last hour, one of the two facilitators said to everybody, so some of you have probably fallen in love with somebody this weekend. This would be a good time to ask their last name, their marital status, uh, who they voted for in the last election. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought it was a humorous and brilliant way of addressing, acknowledging that we'd been in kind of a bubble for the, for the whole weekend. And maybe now was a time to gently introduce a little dose of reality. And I'm, I'm only sharing that people because Cindy and I have, it seems to me made very deliberate attempts to balance out all the infatuation and the excitement and the romance, all of which is there and, and still is with gentle doses of reality 
And frankly, I think the sooner you get to the doses of reality, the gentler they're going to be. Did you do some of that on purpose or did they just surface? I think we did it on purpose. We're both in our 60s and we've had previous experiences with relationships that went well and went poorly. And we just feel like we have some wisdom and we want to um, make sure we're heading in the right direction and that we know each other before we throw it all in. So here's here's a couple of examples. And again, all of this, you have to remember now, you and I, Prepo, we've done this podcast a couple of months ago on heartbreak. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, uh, getting whacked year. by love. Getting whacked by love. Yep. Remember, this is coming from somebody who has learned the lesson from that experience, not to just go all love is blind and to mm. really pay attention and even to build in some of what you call the shadow. So my online profile, for instance, mentioned that I was looking for somebody who was as well acquainted with your shadow as you are with your light. Mm. Put that right in my my profile. So before Cindy and I even met, that was established. I was looking for somebody who could imagine saying, you can ask me anything. I'm establishing upfront that what I'm looking for is depth. All right. I'm not just looking for somebody to take long, dreamy walks on the beach with as delightful as that is, or um, somebody to cuddle up with in front of the TV. Again, delightful stuff. But I wanted somebody who was going to want to be growthful. On our first date, what was the question you asked me? I asked Greg, what is your crazy? With the implication being we're all crazy in some way, and we want to make sure that our crazy sides uh, will meet well together. But who does that on a first date? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Who brings up something like that on a first date? (laughs) The the woman that you wanted to bring it up, obviously, right? Because you want that. Correct. And so what is your crazy? Greg. So you had some more questions, Prepo? Well, I was. I, <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm joking. I'm, that's, or, or, I'm or Cindy, Cindy, I could have saved you. You could have called me up and asked what it was his crazy was, and I could have told oh, you. Oh, wow. Things. But, but we, can hear, we, yeah, we, we can do that after we hang up. But Excellent. But, yeah. But yeah. What, well, what? you know, I remember some of the things I said is I shared a little bit about these little OCD habits that, that I have, uh, my, you know, really, frankly, the usual neuroses. Uh, worry or defensiveness or self-consciousness, things like that. I also remember saying that I, that it seemed in some ways crazy to me as a guy to be so into vulnerability and actually be looking for somebody who could practice vulnerability with me. In some ways, given the way that I grew up as a man, that seems crazy to most guys that you would actually want that. I know that's not quite what Cindy was asking by the question, but the fact that she asked it was thrilling to me. And the fact that it was thrilling to me was thrilling to me. Mm. You did tell her that you you checked your Amazon ratings four times a day for your books, right? You told Four that times a day. Yes. You stopped that. that though, right? The, right. Right. Thank you for reminding me of that. Repo. <laughs> right. You, did you ask what her crazy was or did you come up with something more? Back at you, kiddo. I think what I told him a little bit of my crazy is, is I tend to get really excited about social things and having fun with friends. And I tend to overschedule myself. And then it ends up being really hard to back out and to do too much. And sometimes that puts pressure on my partners. Also, I, you know, 
my family of origin, there's addiction issues in my family. So I was raised in a family that uh, kind of had codependent type relationships. And I've had to go through some therapy and healing and, and have a meditation practice so that I make sure I stay in a good body awareness mode mm. um, when I'm with someone. Mm. Um, here's another one I wouldn't mind Cindy addressing in terms of balancing out the the infatuation with some reality stuff. It was our third date, and it was the invitation that you, Cindy, gave, offered me for our third date and what to do. Do you want to run this by? Yeah, this is about touch. And I think what we learned, a lot of us learned in the pandemic is how important touch is to us. And yet here we were on a date. And if we continue to be in, show interest in each other and like each other, the question of touch, intentional touch would come up. And we wanted to kind of do that carefully. The first time I remember Greg asked me if he could touch me on my leg when we were on a date in San Francisco. And I said, yes, and he did. And it was a very simple thing, but I had a huge rush of feeling come up for me when he touched me like that. And I got tears in my eyes and completely verklempt and couldn't talk. And he, uh, he really saw a lot of vulnerability there and really wanted to know what all that was about. What was coming up for me it was very curious. And so we spent a lot of time talking about how much we'd missed touch. And after that, um, I had an idea. I was going to go out of town again. And I said, I want to see you, but um, let's um, set up a time where we can actually do some intentional, non-sexual touch with each other. Maybe close our mouths for a little while because we're both big talkers and enthusiasts. But let's see how we work um, embodied and centrally together. So we actually set up a session where we would request the kind of touch that we wanted and the other person would receive it and we took turns. And it was really an amazing experience for an early relationship, particularly in a pandemic, because, of course, we were approaching each other. I'm just curious, did you share real time after the touch of what was coming up for you? Or did you just allow the touch to to be what it was without the reflection of, of uh, verbal, verbal reflection? We spent quite a bit of time, as I recall, doing reflection on uh, the feelings that we were having. And we were still in a phase where we weren't actually sure if we had romantic chemistry and we'd acknowledge that to each other. And this was a time when I, I feel like that started for me, but when I really started to feel like I had romantic chemistry with Greg. And you have to picture, Prepo, what we were doing was what's referred to as workshop straddle. Mm. Okay, so you're probably familiar with this, but this is you're sitting on the floor in this case, you're facing each other almost pelvis to pelvis and her legs in this case were slung over mine. Mm -hmm. And so we're maybe a foot away from each other's faces and we're just gazing. We just probably spent two or three or four minutes just gazing at one another and then sharing. This is what's coming up for me as we're doing this. This is what I'm feeling. And then we even switched into what a friend of mine calls we space, meaning that after even five or 10 minutes of doing that kind of work, even with a complete stranger, you're no longer two strangers. You are not, you have created a we space. And so then we tried doing this. What we're feeling right now is 
excitement. Some connection. Or what we're feeling is anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. So we started reporting from a we place, which is really interesting. And then uh, started talking a little bit about what we actually wanted from relationship itself. So it was just a great experiment. And again, a way to cut through some of the usual kind of things you might do on a date and really start to drop in. That that, that puts the uh, the word speed dating to another level, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I'd like to say also that um, this was probably at least two months into our knowing each other. And we'd also been careful to discuss our pandemic quarantining mm. and how um, careful we'd been in terms of exposure so that Greg would know who I was seeing on a regular basis. My daughter and her boyfriend were living in my house, how quarantined they'd been so that we, we knew something about each other's safety precautions. And uh, Greg explained his to me as well so that we were, we were comfortable that we were taking an acceptable level of risk. It's crazy. It's almost like how some people have to say, you know, who their sexual partners are or were, you know, to let people know how safe they were. And, and here we have to talk about just who we let in our proximity of our own house and we talk to. Wow. Mm. Right. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. But there's a level of, of trust there, right, too, because you have to trust what each other are telling is is the truth and that you're trusting that the other person is taking care of your own health and safety in some way. Right. Exactly. Mm, right. Wow. And I, I'm wondering with that, the level of depth that went so quick for, for you, Cindy, was that how much of that was intriguing? How much of that was like, whoa, is this going too fast? Or was it like, oh, yeah, this is what I want. I'm curious of that inner process for you. Um, I felt it was exactly what I wanted. It was it was kind of my idea in the first place, but Greg had given me the idea by, you know, the leg, the initial leg touch that we'd had on the second date. Um, and I thought it told me a lot. There's a lot of communication that happens in nonverbal body language. And I think that's what we learned in that was that the language of touch was very important to both of us. And it turned out it is one of both of our five love languages. Mm. The other one being quality time. And we mm. both have those as our top two. Mm. And so you were able to satisfy both of those because that's both of what you wanted from each other too. Absolutely. We're huge communicators, uh, very thankfully. And um, love conversation, have an incredibly high threshold for conversation with one another and love touch and physical closeness. So there's, there's one more piece and then we can, we can move on from the subject, but there's one more piece I would love to share under the heading of balancing out early in a relationship, the romance with the reality. So this is around the issue of red flags and as you might remember from the last interview we did about heartbreak, um, the reason that happened to me was a big part of it was that I did not pay attention to the red flags when they came up. And I went all love is blind and I ran across a fabulous quote from a relationship author named Ethel Person. This is not Esther Perel, Ethel Person. She says the time for love is blind is not at the beginning of a relationship. It's later on. This is how she puts it in when we are called by wisdom and compassion to turn a blind eye to our 
partner's flaws and focus on their merits. Mm-hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. The time for blindness and love is not at the beginning. It's later on. So there was one, um, for instance, there was one that came up for me that was very scary to share because I'm not in the habit of bringing up problems early in a relationship. I'm all about let's establish rapport. We'll worry about the problems later. We'll deal with that later. I didn't take that tack this time around. It's like, no, let's look at how well that worked the last time. How about we try something different? So one little issue came up. There was a conversation where she had mentioned that she had some difficulty being alone and even living alone, spending time alone. And what went through my mind in that moment is something I shared with her. And that is that to me, so Cindy is an extrovert. I think it's fair to say she's a very full social life, very much an extrovert. I'm an ambivert, half introvert, half extrovert. And to me, the depth that I've established in my own life, as in, you know, know thyself and the depth I was looking for in somebody else, that to me is a function of a certain amount of solitude and quiet. So to the degree I was looking and I told her this, I want a relationship with depth. My assumption is that depth requires some time alone and some down quiet time. And I just wonder how is that landing for you that I'm sharing this? Mm. Was that scary for you, Greg, to put that out? Absolutely. It was like, I can't believe I'm bringing this up, but I couldn't not this time. I was worried when I heard it because I actually am aware that this is something I need to work on and to be more comfortable spending time alone. And I've lived alone for a while and also started a mindfulness practice um, so that I could dig into sort of my own feelings and learn to be with my feelings with a little bit more um, equanimity. And that's really helped me a lot. But I would say Greg's right. I'm an extrovert. I like being around people and I will default to that if I don't set up ways to make sure that I am inquisitive about what's going on inside of me, like my journaling practice or my meditation practice. But he's right. It's something that's true about me. Curious, any part of you, Cindy, that went, oh shit, like he's, there's something that he may not like about me. And, you know, that first in the, you know, in in the new love genre of like, boom, now there's something that's, I feel maybe there's a little critical or looking at it from a different eye. Did that come up for you at all? It did, because I I think I was really already quite interested in developing a relationship with Greg. And so that was hard to hear. I think that my reaction was to want to defend myself. But instead, somehow, you know, over the years of practice, I said, I I acknowledged that it was actually true and um, asked him, you know, how he felt about it and Um, we decided to just sort of wait and see what happened as a result of that. Um, I didn't feel like he was expecting me to change in any way. Hmm. I think either one of us, every time it seems to me that we have taken the risk to be vulnerable with the other guy and share something difficult um, and bring up something difficult, my experience is it has led us to more love and more connection and juicy conversations and 
there's almost a, there's a kind of a safety. It seems ironic, but there's a kind of a safety that we're building in early in the game by having these conversations. It's yes, it's scary. And it's what does this mean and all that. But there's a kind of a trust that we're building at the same time that I can trust this person is going to bring these issues to me and that I'm safe bringing them to her. And just the levels, the conversations that we've had as a result of these vulnerabilities has been uh, just magnificently juicy. And I love that word that you said around around safety, because I think that there's there's something about being radically honest that is attractive for people. But if there's not a level of safety around that radical honesty, it, it can go awry. So it's creating that container of safety to be able to be radically honest. That's so important. So Prepo, I'm interested in your perspective on that. How do you how do you coach couples to create safety? One part of safety is timing, to be able to have discussions about even the the sentence like, "Hey, there's something coming through me that I that I want to have a discussion about. Are you available?" You know, just even asking that as opposed to there's something I want to say. I want to say it. That, that, that's a very different to ask if the person's available because we want them to be fully present. We want them to be emotionally aware and just asking that, their the availability. So I think timing is so important. Sometimes also having some discussions about certain subjects at times, and I think this is maybe something that you have experienced or, or may, there might be some subjects that the other person might say, you know, I, I'm not ready to go into that that subject right now. So I tell couples that, you know, to be aware of that, everything that your partner might be saying that might be shocking at times may not be about you at all. Can you be curious? Can you be interested in creating that safe container around that? Thank you. Yeah. I think it's always better to not feel that you have to speak about something at any given point in time. Giving options is is so nice, receiving options. And to, you know, I think sometimes when we're pent up and we want to share something, we're blinded to about the other person's availability. I think I was pent up and wanted to share something while my wife was on the toilet one day and she's like, really? Is this where you really want to share this with me? Can you wait a little bit and walk I'm, out of I'm the bathroom? I'm with John. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> exactly. And I think so it's like, you know, respecting space is so important. Soft startups, which is not about blowing smoke up the other person's ass, but, you know, how can you do it in a, in a soft way that's bringing the person closer to you instead of saying something that's so abrupt that's going to push them away. Mm. So something you had shared with me, Cindy, that I think bears mentioning here is some of the work we've done on ourselves that allowed us to come to the relationship, um, maybe a little bit ahead of the curve. You want to share some of that? Sure. I think for me personally, uh, my mindfulness practice has helped me a lot because I can now sense when my body is telling me you're upset, you're a little bit angry, you're sad. And I think previous in previous relationships, I was kind of unaware of what I was feeling. And that could trick me into reactions and defensive behaviors. And so I've been working on that personally. Also, it turned out that both Greg and I had attended this workshop called NVC. It's been around for a long time, nonviolent communication, but it's a system where the belief, the overriding belief is that communication is about creating connections. It's not just about trying to influence the other person 
or just because you want to hear yourself talk. It's really communication is about connecting with the other person. And I joined a practice group and had had 10 weeks of practice during the pandemic. It was a great thing to do (laughs) with my time then. And then Greg had attended the same workshop. So at least we came to it with a a similar language and an approach to communication that we that we agreed on. And we've been trying to use that in our moments that we have, the occasional small conflict, which have come up. Absolutely. And the, the gist of it for me is, well, not for me, the gist of NVC is you start with feelings. You don't start with blame or storytelling or any of that stuff. You start with what I'm feeling right now is hurt or abandoned or betrayed, or they literally have a list of 50 feelings didn't even realize there were that many. And then the other thing is the reason I'm having those feelings is that there are certain needs that are not exactly being met right now. And here's what the needs are. And then you make requests as opposed to demands. And so it's a very simple system that you can even apply when you're a bit charged and really just brings the temperature down. So we brought some of these skills to the relationship. And I think that really helped a lot. Yeah, that, that skill to be able to know your own world so that you can share it with the other person without projecting what they're saying, what they're doing, and reflecting that back to them as opposed to staying on, I call it on your side of the net so that you can be known. Well, it's it can be really challenging. We had a couple of early conflicts. And before we before we did, we said, we know there's going to be things that come up for us that are we're not going to agree about, or there's going to be a conflict, or you're going to hurt my feelings, or I'm going to hurt yours. Can we make an agreement to actually really work through the little things? So when they're still small, if something comes to you and you're uncomfortable with it, let's go ahead and bring it up and practice our communication around these little things and see how we do. And so we actually ended up doing that because we took quite a interesting trip together. And um, I made a comment, actually, that was sort of veiled criticism about Greg's hair. And he uh, called me on it about a half an hour later and said, I feel sad and kind of upset that you said this, like you might want me to cut my hair. And I'm feeling a little bit upset about this. And um, again, my reaction before would have been to be defensive. That's not what I meant at all. Or I don't you care what I, you know, there would have been some fling back of this that I didn't do it. Like I'm not taking responsibility for doing this. And so I actually, I remember at the time really feeling this sensation in my stomach that I had really blown it. And it was upsetting and sad to me. And I was scared but I decided to hang with it and um, really just feel that for a while and sit with those feelings and also ask Greg more questions. So I kept asking him questions, even though I had this roiling feeling in my stomach. And uh, do you remember, Greg, what question, what did I ask you? Well, not specifically. I just remember you kept trying to draw me out. Is there more you'd like to share about that? How did that feel? Um, Just drawing me out is what I remember most. And I remember, you know, once or twice even repeating um, the sense that I didn't like you the way you were and that, you know, um, that maybe you weren't, you were needing acceptance from me for the way you, you actually were. And um, I actually at the time was also feeling like he caught me, that I was, I, I may have in the past had a habit of trying to change somebody that I'm with. And he was concerned about that and brought that up as well. Yeah, the, uh, what I remember saying was, 
Normally, I would kind of let this slide. It's not a big deal. It was one of those casual remarks. But the fact that it did trip a wire and I noticed that it tripped a wire was my cue to say something about it. Then rather than waiting until three or four more things like that had had gone by and now I've built up a charge, exactly. you know, and then I'm more likely to do shit like kitchen sinking or reminding her of the other four times when I didn't say something. So it was something about this is a little microcosm of the tendency we we all have, myself included, of trying to you know, I want to change the other guy. And it was just a very it was so subtle, Prepo. It was she leaned over in the nicest way and tucked my hair behind my ear in the very gentle way and said something about, you know, be nice. Maybe you could cut it and it would look a little neater and you and you'd show your your pretty face. Mm. You know, it was it was very subtle. <laughs> But I I recognize that the hurt is what gave me the clue that I should dig there just a little bit. And it was the fear about being changed and wanting to be accepted as I as I am, which, of course, we all want. But this thing about catching it while it's small. Yeah. And we had made that agreement, you know, intentionally. But I didn't really know. I would say then that I got I knew what I was getting myself into because I really felt bad (laughs) about this comment. For a while and had to, you know, sit with feelings of actual shame and try not to bypass them or run away and or distract myself from them. And so and it was a really good exercise because you can imagine if on this little thing, if we both managed to have some pretty strong feelings come up for us, how that might be for us on the big things. So I think one of the things we learned from that is to go ahead and practice with these little things That's and right. see see what happens. I felt quite clumsy, actually. The NVC methodology sometimes feels clumsy. They tell me more and what are you feeling now? And how about now? What are you feeling? But it really does work. Hmm. So the clumsiness, I guess, is okay at the beginning. And I think what you said about like getting those wins off the bat so that you have efficacy to know that when more challenging things can come up that you can go towards them. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing to be able to practice on those smaller things so that you can move through those, get closer in connection, and in some way looking forward to having to go through some of the challenging things because now you know how to do it. Well, and we've, we are also, this is what I'm noticing, we are also simply building healthy habits in now, you know, rather than having to go to them under pressure um, when something hits the fan. It's like this practice in let's start building these, these habits into the relationship now as soon as we can. And I, I, I think this was sort of the second time I'd had some feelings come up and both times Greg responded very non-defensively to me when I told him I was having feelings. So I, I felt safer bringing things up when I was upset. So you're basically building trust that he's going to accept me. And this kind of leads me to talk about a bigger thing that happened, if this is a good time to do that. We had come home from a 28-day journey together, and we took off in my van and um, spent four weeks going to national parks and hiking and um, camping together. And it went amazingly well. We learned a lot about each other. But on the last day when we came home and we had such a huge mess and we had to clean everything, we had pulled everything out of the van and all the food was in the kitchen. Greg stuck around for a couple hours and we put stuff away. And then he jumped in his car and and went home. 
And I got up the next morning and I looked at this mess and I said, you know, I need more help with this, but I don't want to be, this was unconscious. I don't want to be one of those people that's super clingy or needy. So I'm not going to call Greg and tell him, but this is, this is a big mess for me to clean up by myself. And so I started cleaning it up and I was efficient and, but then a, a couple hours in, I just started getting madder and madder and madder that I was cleaning up this mess all by myself. And so finally, I went and sent, let's see, I think I, I went to call you and I got an email from you that was saying what a wonderful morning you were having <laughs> back home with nothing to do. And, and you said you should fucking cut your hair. That's what you need to do, right? <laughs> I think I said, this actually is bad timing. I'm going to have to read this message later. I'm really upset right now because I'm doing all this work by myself and there's a lot more to do. And to Greg's credit, he called me right away and he listened and I was able to share how upset I was at being left with this mess. And then after he determined that I was, you know, at least shared most of my upset emotions with him uh, by this time. He said, what can I do? Can I, I can be over there in an hour. If you want me to come help, I want to do that. And I said, yes. So he came over and, and cleaned with me for a couple more hours. And it felt really good that he'd really heard me, that he'd listened and that he'd taken action to, to make it right. And he also was never, again, defensive. Well, I thought it was done or, you know, if, gee, that wasn't my stuff. So I didn't know what to do with it. Did you have a comment about that, Greg? There was one thing I wanted to add about this drama that unfolded. A month or so before, maybe it was even on the trip itself, Cindy was said, gee, I wonder when the first time is that we'll piss each other off. And I'll tell you, Prepo, I hated being the guy to have to cross that line first. I really hated pissing her off and really hearing that she was the word she used was resentful and that was really hard to hear again especially in the early months of a relationship when my whole system is sort of geared up for happy and uh to hear that i had pissed her off and made her resentful was really hard to swallow but here's one of the beautiful things i'm learning not just for the beginning of a new relationship but since the the last really big one that i had like say my 20-year marriage i have actually grown <laughs> this is one of the great revelations i could piss somebody off and have her tell me right to my face and hang with it not get defensive. That in itself was a breakthrough that I realized as we were NVCing our way through this little episode, I realized, God, dude, look at yourself. You're holding, you're holding it gracefully. It's not like I'm even just biting my lip. I'm not really in that space of needing to defend myself. You're actually holding on to yourself in that moment to stay grounded, to stay connected. Andy was able to hold space for my feelings, which were, you know, pretty activated at the moment. And then um, I did tell him afterwards that it really helped for him. It took the wind out of my sails kind of to have him listen so carefully to my feelings and, um, and then to come over and just dive right in and help me with it. And then the next day, what happened was I started thinking about my role in this whole upset. And um, it wasn't obvious at first, but I started thinking about it. And I said, you know, I was aware for a couple of hours 
that this wasn't right. There was something that was wrong with this situation for me. And I didn't adhere to our commitment, um, which was to let each other know when the little things came up. Instead, I let it build to a point where I was really frustrated. And so I wrote Greg an email and I, I said, I want you to know what my part in this whole thing was. And I said, I think I was afraid of looking needy and, you know, just this idea of needing help with anything. And I'm not sure what other, else went in, was involved with me not calling him sooner, back in sooner. But I think that was my part in, in letting that spin up a little bit higher than it had to. I think that that's great when, when each partner can reflect back on what their part of the interaction was, even if the other person was 99.9%, let's say at fault, that we could just own our 0.1% and we can just really reflect on it. And that, that encourages and inspires the other person to take accountability. When two people are taking their own accountability, they're not pointing fingers at each other for them to take accountability. And it makes me want to take accountability too. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that he has makes me want to, makes me want to share that with him. I don't accountability for the real stuff, you know, that, that I contributed from speaking for myself. This is so game changing for me, uh, especially in the early phase of a relationship. This is really a revelation is that by really listening and feeding somebody back to themselves and giving them space to, to blow through whatever they're feeling and not interrupt, not defend, not do any of that stuff. What's your part in it? None of that. It comes back around to me. And that's something I did not know so well in my marriage, for instance. And we had, as you probably remember, so quite a bit of conflict. <laughs> I think the other thing that happens often, not always, as a result of these things is, is also um, Greg and I look at each other and um, smile and we end up having a closer connection as a result. I look at him and I feel like there's somebody I can trust with some ugly parts of myself, the part of myself that doesn't always do what I say I'm going to do, which is bring things up when it's small, for example. It feels good to connect with Greg after one of these conflicts when we've handled it this way curious of what you foresee may be a challenge coming up. You've already met each other's family in, in some ways, right? I mean, or friends of, of each other. You know, that's a big step of some nervousness around how that's going to go. W what else do you think in, in new relationships are kind of milestones to see how we get over this juncture in our relationship? Have any thoughts about that? Hmm. I think one thing that comes up for me in the conjecture department anyway, is one of the things, for instance, that we learned on the month-long van trip. And if you really want to speed speed your way from infatuation to real the work of really loving somebody, spend a month in a van with them, <laughs> you know? And um, because you really quickly, you learn each other's coping strategies and cleanliness issues and organizational styles and even lovemaking rhythms and signals and just you you just get a really concentrated dose of one another essentially playing house in a way but one of the things i'm thinking at the moment is i wonder how we'll navigate the extrovert introvert scale between us because cindy is much more of an extrovert than i am and I have that piece about 50% of the time, but the other 50% I don't. And so that's 
something I imagine we're going to have to negotiate as we go along is maybe we'll meet a little bit closer to the middle. Maybe we'll make concessions I can't even quite imagine yet. Joining for desserts a lot instead of the full dinners. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm going to just drop by and say hi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, things like that is like, how will we navigate those really, these are really just basic stylistic differences between us uh, personality wise. Um, so I wonder how that will play out in the future. I think we both have a family that's important to us. And um, I have three daughters that are grown and I spend a lot of time with them. And so it's occurred to me that a lot of that, that time, family time, I still need alone with my family. And it occurs to me at the same time that Greg has those same needs. He's very close to his brothers and, um, and their families. And there's, it's, I think it's really important for us to have time alone with those special family or friends that we want to keep in our lives. Yeah, I think the, the, maybe one of the bigger issues that's right behind that is how do you, how do I cope with the parts of Cindy that are none of my business that are the relationships she has that are separate from me, the thoughts she has, the fantasies she has that are separate from me, um, the involvements, you know what I mean? Just the, the part of her life that is hers and no amount of enmeshment is going to make mine. And there's something about just making peace with the parts of my partner that don't and won't ever belong to me because there's that desire to possess Mm -hmm. You know, um, you complete me, all the all those kind of thoughts or yeah. this ring a bell. Yeah. Or, or even the past, you know, um, you both have a past and letting each other have their own past and not whether it's really getting entrenched or involved without the permission to, to go there in some way. What do you, can you explain that prepo a little bit more? I remember, Cindy, that when you and I were talking, you said when you listened to Greg and I's podcast on on heartbreak, there were some things that, you know, he said that maybe, you know, you might have heard for the first time about his past relationship or that it kind of brought up like, oh, you know, I didn't know that or there's something more that I, I might know. Sure, there's probably going to be an inkling to want to be curious of it, but it's like how to keep that separate from any let's say, hurt from our own experience as opposed to this was the, the person's experience before they met me and they were also a different person before they met me in some ways they've grown. How do I let them have that experience and be curious and interested and not let my triggers get in the way of their history to almost try to change their history because in some way I want it to be changed. Do you see that? Yeah, hmm. especially at our age with the... Um you know, having previous relationships mm. and each having a marriage in our past and our history. We've talked a lot about our previous partners so far with um, pretty openly. And also, I think most of both of us are acknowledging that that's what launched us on a big personal growth curve, because we realized that humility suddenly had introduced the requirement if we wanted to have a relationship to go to work on ourselves. Yeah. I, I don't recall exactly some of the conversations, but I remember my wife would bring up something from a past relationship and I was like, well, why didn't you tell me that? She's like, well, I'm just telling it to you now. I just remembered it. And for me, it was like, I wanted to know this before 
And I'm thinking, well, why, why did I want to know this before? And why do I think it's shocking to hear it now as opposed to, you know, it just came up. It came up for her to to share that, whatever it was from the, from the past. Can I be open and create that space for her to, to share her past? So this um, reminds me of something I wanted to ask. We, we both kind of wanted to ask you mm. um, because uh, Cindy brought it up this morning is this, this idea and we're constantly brainstorming ways to connect and workshops we can take and projects we can get involved in just we're constantly brainstorming ways that we can create things and gatherings and trips and whatnot and one of the things she mentioned this morning is what do you think about the idea of going into couples counseling now in the beginning and I love this idea. I thought it was crazy interesting. Instead of waiting, like I gather, I would imagine most couples do until, you know, the problems are hitting the fan to actually seek out somebody like you, Prepo. And so I was curious if you've ever had couples come to you in the beginning of their relationship. And if so, what was that like? What do you tell them? It made my job so much easier. <laughs> it's like, please, please come sooner. Please come sooner. But have you had people come yes. in the er early yeah. months you have? Yeah. Yeah. And it's wonderful because there's a lot more curiosity, like you're saying, a lot more interest. There's less of this kind of uh, crusted, you know, resentment or holding patterns. There's less patterns and habits that are challenging to, to, to change. And so why are they coming to you? What are they saying? They're, the reason is they're coming. S some of it is that we, th there's certain ways that we want to experiment with our time, to devote to our time. That is just us. That's, that's focused. And instead of us figuring it out, we want a facilitator to do that. Or we also want somebody to, you know, bring up some blind spots that we might not see ourselves or it's, it's better that somebody else does it than the other person in some ways. So I hear people come and say, yes, you know, we want to explore ways to go deeper. I mean, and when that happens, I usually, I don't know if you ever read this before by Oria Mountain and, and oh, Oria Mountain Dreamer. Yes, that's it. Right. And you know, it's, it's basically, it doesn't interest me. You know, that's the, 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 the theme. And some of the pros, you know, would say it doesn't interest me who you know or how you came to be here i want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back it doesn't interest me if the story you're telling me is true i want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul if you can be faithless and therefore trustworthy it's getting to that depth that people, like you're saying, want to get to. And sometimes they want a facilitator that you say, like has some exercises or hold people accountable. And that's the other thing that they, they want to be held accountable. If I give them exercises to do, they want to be able to come next week and say, we did those. You're holding us accountable. So is there any danger to a couple pushing the depth thing too soon or is it just pretty much always going to be a good thing to get at it sooner than later well i think that we have to trust our own selves to know if somebody is pushing us in ways that 
we may not be grounded that we can receive it, that we have to just speak to that. And just even holding that and and being able to set those boundaries is a wonderful relationship tool to know ourselves and so and to be able to say that. Right now, I'm feeling a tendency that I feel pushed, even though I know that that might be a positive way. I'm having a feeling I want to trust myself that I'm not ready. I might be ready tomorrow. I might be ready next week. You know, it's it's almost like making a conscious decision of not letting the other person talk you in or out of what feels good or what feels right for you. And I think that that's, you know, so vital. So I don't really see a danger in it because it allows people to also put up a boundary and the other person to be able to respect that boundary. Wow. But I love hearing that there are actually couples who will come to couples counseling early in the game before they even really have any big problems. And it's so wonderful. I tell you, like really from, from a therapist standpoint, it is really wonderful because again, the curiosity is there to be known and to know the other person, that level of intimacy that people want to experience is just wonderful to be able to witness people learning new things about themselves, about the other person, and then now creating and putting effort into that third entity of their relationship. Now they're, they're growing the relationship very differently than having to unwind unhealthy patterns. That makes so much sense to me. It's almost like you have this blank canvas and you can create sort of your own art and practices, uh, love practices. And I think, um, Greg told me he thought love was an action word. I'm some other people have said that too, that love is an action word. It's not necessarily a feeling. Exactly. Yeah. And I can only speak, you know, with my experience too, of my relationship with, with rainbow, we, we kind of started ourselves off in that kind of environment, meeting each other and living at Esalen, you know, in some way that was a, a couple's workshop or going to couples counseling. We would, we would go to open seats or, you know, when, when we would have some challenges and work with facilitators and, and that brought our relationship, you know, to a whole different level faster and, and to be able to have those skills right off the bat. So I, I totally encourage people people to do that and get, because then you're establishing wonderful habits of in some way not getting complacent because you're learning right off the bat um, that the other person is an individual with their own needs and their own desires and how to inquire. You're learning such healthy habits right in the beginning. Well, if I can also say we're really motivated right now too, because yeah. we we are in this stage of infatuation as well as seeking reality. And um, so we're both really motivated to um, start this out right. Yeah. So I'm curious, before we end, is there any any pieces of advice that you would give listeners out there that are in new relationships of like where to go from there? Seems almost presumptuous <laughs> to be giving people advice about early relationships while we're in the middle of an early relationship. <laughs> but I also am bringing to the table 65 years. That's right. You're, you're kind of like a little bit, uh, you're not going up the hill where you can't see it. You're kind of over the peak where you can kind of see. Yeah, I, I can definitely see um, all the mountain ranges I've climbed mm. previously. And I don't know, I hesitate to give advice, but I can say that the piece about catching things while they're small and manageable and not letting the weeds take over and the piece about gently diving below the surface, 
and not just staying all, all with the wonderful, wonderful feelings, not to diminish them. I wouldn't trade one molecule of those, those emotions and those hormones and all that oxytocin. I wouldn't give it away for anything, but somehow to, to hold the tension between that and the reality piece, I think builds a lot of strength into a relationship early on because there's trust building that happens and there's this trusting myself that happens. As I uh, share the vulnerabilities with Cindy, I, I feel stronger. I feel more capable of handling them and, and sharing them with somebody else and, you know, um, putting my heart in her hands. And there's something about trusting the vulnerability that's really powerful early on and not trying to sweep it under the rug because it'll only come back and, and, uh, increase in voltage and volume the more the more you ignore it so there's something about catching things while they're small and staying also with the reality piece what you're really feeling in a moment and catching it i think is just critical is just seems critical to me and really really game-changing for me yeah I just like to piggyback off of those i think those are fantastic and i'd like to just emphasize that part of you that said trust yourself I think it's so vital that 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 uh, partners we work on that ourselves that we actually trust ourselves to re to respond to a situation to be able to think something in the frame of i'm a person that de deserves respect because i make it easy for the other person to respect me by doing these various things and so it's it's like trusting ourselves that we're going to to be able to move through and respond and not just putting our trust just in the other person in some way to take care of ourselves. And one part of that is also getting really more comfortable with the uncomfortable. Like you said, Greg, about learning to be able to just witness maybe Cindy's disappointment or her emotions and not have to defend it or explain it. Like that's a huge skill that I think is needs to be learned throughout relationships, but being able to like hold on to ourselves and be able to feel comfortable or self-soothe ourselves in the proximity and witnessing our partner's discomfort. I'm thinking of bringing back the old tradition of putting gold stars on the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Cindy? What I really enjoyed about the beginning, the very beginning of this relationship is how much time we had. And a little of that was because of the pandemic. And I felt like I was less busy with other social engagements and really had time to respond to his letters and emails. And we got to take our time in meeting for the first time, meeting for the second time, meeting for the third time. There's a lot of space in between. So we could both um, sort of settle a little bit, even though we were excited about each other fairly early on, we could settle a little bit and and see and not see each other with those rose-colored lenses. Mm -hmm. And then go into to the van for 28 days right after that. <laughs> <laughs> then throw yourself in there. Well, we're both, uh, we both come out to be enthusiasts on the Enneagram. And it's one thing that we really like about each other and, you know, probably lead to some interesting confrontation at times because we like, we get excited about stuff. So it was really a, an amazing opportunity to get to know Greg better and as well as learn to practice um, being together when we're, when everything isn't perfectly hunky-dory. Yeah. 
Well, I just think it's wonderful that both of you were willing to to share your journey so far in your, in your relationship and be enthusiastic about it. And I think uh, many people are going to get a lot out of it of how to, to start off in a really conscious way. I know that it's, again, like not all roses to really, as you're saying, nip some things in the butt, you know, the small stuff and to really be able to work on yourselves in order to bring that into the relationship. I think so many of the elements that you're sharing is what me as a couples counselor constantly is trying to work with people to change those habits, to do what you're doing in the beginning. So those people that are starting off or are looking to start off in a relationship, it's a nice road or a path that you're showing them so far. Well, it's interesting. They, you also hear people say, don't sweat the small stuff and it's all mm -hmm. small stuff. But I don't think that that's true in this case. And mm -hmm. so I want to encourage people to think that the small stuff can actually help. Yeah. And recognizing that those things are going to come up and it's um, not a bad thing. It's not somebody's done something wrong. Yeah. And I think that small stuff is to be able to be able to know that you can move through the small stuff. So then when you want to let the small stuff go, you can just let it go. You know, there, there's a difference there of always letting it go and then knowing that there's it's festering underneath or having this discernment and go, eh, I can let that go. And you know what else I'm, we've noticed is just because we move through a conflict and cleanly manage to really burn it clean and not build up a bunch of soot doesn't mean that some of the the skanky emotions don't stick around for another day or two. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like just because you've apologized to somebody or worked through a conflict doesn't mean that the hard emotions just dissolve. And I just think that just... And I mean, what I said to you in a letter after one of our conflicts was it takes a little while for my feathers to unruffle because after the incident with the cleaning of the van, I felt melancholy and irritated with myself for, I don't know, 48 hours afterwards. And I just really that was important for me to see that just because we did clear it through doesn't mean there aren't uh, lingering clouds. And I just I just had to live under them for a day or two. And doesn't mean there's anything wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Just need to some time to get back into balance. Yeah. So now you have to catch up with us like at the one year mark. Yeah. And and see how what we're talking about and what we're doing now unfolds six months from now. That's right. That'll be interesting, too. Exactly. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hold you guys to that because I, <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation. Again, I'm so glad that you willing in some way to be vulnerable and take the risk to to put this out and just to to even you know take a little bit of state of union and speak again where you're at and i'm imagining that it was a kind of a cool process to even think about what you wanted to talk about and that's part of you know working together as a couple to be excited to name what your process has been as a couple very much mm -hmm. you helped give us an opportunity for another adventure ah wonderful very i'm glad much. i could do that great yeah. <laughs> well thank you both so much thank you cindy thank you greg thank you prepo this is fun truly thanks again prepo yeah we'll do it again and and thank you cindy for joining me on this this has been wonderful for me you're welcome thank you thank you thank you Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode, which was sponsored by Still Point Wellness, Asheville's premier spa. Still Point is co-owned by my dear friends and colleagues, Corey Costanzo and Robin Costanzo. They offer state-of-the-art saltwater flotation tanks, as well as the incredible certified Esalen massages. You can check them out at stillpointwell.com 
or check out the show notes for the links. You can also use the code word PREPO and you will get 10% off your first float or your first Esalen massage. And folks, our sponsors and donations from you listeners are a tremendous help to get this out to you in a professional manner. If you or your organization is interested in sponsoring some episodes, you can contact me at prepo.com. And don't forget to check out our audio guides and audio meditations at prepo.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at prepo.toplitsky. Would love if you also leave a review on Apple Podcast. All those algorithm things and stuff that I don't know about, I've been told that the more that we get, the more listeners. And another thing, if you're not able to donate to the podcast at all, but really want to help out, I would be so grateful if you just share the podcast with other people. This is a way that we can transform the world by transforming our relationships. Thanks, everybody. Sending you lots of love. And hope you make yourselves a beautiful day. Relationships. Let's talk about it. Is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting, PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Thank you.